the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 431 for Sunday, January 6th, 2013. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show. Are you sending cool stuff found? You send in tips. You send in your questions. We try to answer your questions. We share your tips. We all share some cool stuff found. And together, we all like to learn a lot of new stuff every single time we get together here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in the brand spanking new New Year in Fearful, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, John. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Happy New Year to uh, to everybody in the chat room at macgeekgab.com slash stream. Yeah, I almost blundered the uh, the intro there. I was uh, I had not thought about the fact that I had to say the new year. I was on autopilot. But this being our eighth year doing this, you'd think we'd be used to it by now. And, and so far, I think we're on take one of uh, of of this week's show. So that's well, that's be careful sign. when you write checks. That's the only I don't, I don't write checks. I mean, I print checks. We use checks for the company, but the computer takes care of the date. And for the most part, it's okay with that. So. Yeah, there's no uh, 2013 bug that I'm aware of. Well, except with. Well, except on the iPhone. Yeah, with do not disturb. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Um, but that's supposed to start working tomorrow. And I guess I got a. I think we got a tweet to our Mac Geek Up Twitter account from somebody today that said they were, I believe they said they were getting um, that Do Not Disturb was was working again. APDV1 on Twitter earlier today said it was working. So I don't know where APDV1 is. Let me see if I can figure that out. Because Ah, they're in New Zealand. See, that's why. Because it starts working on the 7th. So by the time you all hear this, you're back in business. They live in the future, right? They do. They totally live in the future. Yeah, I got a tweet from the awesome. future, man. It was cool. Yeah. Crikey. What? What's that? Uh, someone in the chat room said "crikey," which uh, I believe is a yes. exclamation used in that part of the globe. I believe that's right. So, um, I, I, I did want to start today with with a cool stuff found, and um, this thing's pretty cool. It's uh, doublerobotics.com is the uh, URL you want to check out. This is, and I'm sure they'll hate me for describing it this way, but but it is the best way to visualize this. It's like a segue for your iPad, and there's a, a movie there that you can you can watch. It's pretty short. Um, it is it is you, and you drive it around with um, with another iPad, so you can remote control this thing, and of course you can remote control it in your house, uh, but you can also remote control it from like across the world via, you know, the internet and, and, uh, you know, local Wi-Fi networks in both places to, to connect everything. And, and the video shows, you know, some guys in a factory, uh, having an iPad on one of these things, you know, roll up to them and, and they have a conversation with somebody on the other end. Cause it has a camera and, you know, microphones and speakers and all that. And then they hold up like a prototype or something and show them. And, you know, is it looks pretty cool. I mean, it's a great idea. I, the things, uh, retails for, well, See, I don't understand this. They say it's $2,499 $2, on the website. No, it's not cheap. Um, and then they say it's $19.99. So I don't know which price is right. I was going to say retail is $24.99, but really retail is $19.99 because that's what they say on their website. So anyway, 
Uh, it looks pretty cool. So I just had to mention it. I didn't, I don't think any of us are actually going to go get one of these, but uh, I don't know that we'd have use cases for them other than playing around. But, uh, but if you do have a use case for it, it's cool. And if, even if you don't, it's cool. Well, here's one where I almost guarantee you're going to have a use case for it, Dave. Mm. I guess we're so, doing cool stuff found. This is good. So we're doing a mini CSF just because I, I came across this. I can't remember who it, it was somewhere in my Twitter stream. Okay. But it was just so cool. And it's flight related. And oh. may, maybe we've talked about it before, but if we haven't flightradar24.com. That sounds new to me. Okay. Well, if you look at it, it's basically, I, I don't know if it's a, yep. It's a Google map and it basically has every flight <laughs> as far as I can tell in a lot of areas uh, mapped in somewhat real time from multiple sources of radar data. Dude. Do you see this thing? Yeah, I mean, I look do. how many planes there are. <sighs> I mean, it's uh, obvious where the airports are and you, you hover above them and they give you what I think is their FAA ID or whatever. Like, you know, I see one here, AA something. So that's probably American airlines. Duh. Yeah. Now, I'm sure it doesn't show everything. I mean, it's probably stuff where now, you know, some people may be like, oh, my gosh, how can you you know, expose this data? But it, it's totally public data. You can get this. Yeah, there's feeds. Well, of yeah, as far there. as yeah. I mean, maybe not geographically where the plane is, though. I think you could probably take a good guess. I mean, that, so that's what this seems to be showing. No, it's so I'm I guess sure it's pulling take- it from public feeds. They, these feeds are available. Yeah. Yeah, for well, sure. Yeah, I see in the lower right here, it says ADS eight or ADSB. Yeah. And FAA. So there's like multiple data sources here. Uh, and some of them are real time and some of them are uh, from the FAA. Delayed. Five minute yeah. delay. Right, right, right. Oh. But it's cool. I mean, you could zoom in using, you know, Google Maps as the API. I mean, you could zoom in to like, you know, see what's flying over your house if you want to. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. And, they, and you can also, and I haven't downloaded it yet, but they also have a, uh, I guess, an app for multiple platforms, including uh, uh, iOS. So I got to try that too. So that'd be, uh, I could see how this could help me, you know, while away the hours Mm. (laughs) when I'm waiting at the airport, it's like, well, let me see what the planes are doing. Pilot Pete is in the chat room and says that uh, ADS stands for air data surveillance. And that's the, the live feed. And then uh, FAA is the one that's on the, the five minute delay. So two 99 for iPhone and iPad, according to the Borg in the chat room. So that's awesome, man. I like that. All right. Uh, and then uh, I th- I think, are we good with that one? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. No, I was wondering about that. So, yeah. uh, and then one from Pete. And then we have uh, one from Pete, which he uh, sent in with the Mac Geek Cab iOS app. So let's have it, Pete. Hey, John and Dave. Uh, I'm not going to say hi to Pilot Pete because uh, this is Pilot Pete. Got a quick, cool stuff found for you guys this week. Uh, this is going to apply more to the pilots in the audience than uh, anybody else, although it will work for anybody who's just looking for an AM radio station. It's an app called Plane Radio. It's available for $2.99 in the App Store, and it's an extensive database of AM radio stations in the United States. You can search it out by sport teams, format, genre, signal strength, uh, and basically what you do, for instance, let's say you're over the uh, Little Rock VOR, and you type in LIT, and it comes up with a list of the strongest stations closest to uh, Little Rock. Then you can sort it by format. So if you're trying to listen to a playoff game or something like that, you can do that. Not to worry, folks. There's one guy who's responsible for monitoring the radars. The other guy is responsible for flying. So if you're uh, flying that late, you can turn it down a little bit, uh, the radio, and uh, listen to the game. 
update the folks in the back. Uh, and then some of the airplanes, I think United is one of the airlines that uh, uh, sets it up so that people can listen to uh, the games on the radio on one of their channels. So anyway, that's a, uh, that's a nice little app, uh, a database to uh, take care of uh, finding uh, the best radio station to listen to the game or the news at the top of the hour, what have you. Um, and there's another one uh, real quick. I've got an LG HBS 700 headset. That's by... Uh, uh, LG, LG, <laughs> duh. Uh, it's a, a wireless Bluetooth headset that fits around your neck, and then the uh, little earbuds fit up and into your ears, or you can take them out and they're held on magnetically. Uh, it does phone calls, uh, really nice sound to it. If you want to take a call, or if the phone rings, uh, the headset will vibrate. Uh, you take the little earbud off the end of the headset and put it in your ear, make the phone call. Bluetooth stereo, nice little headset, and the best of all is the price. You can find them as low as 46 bucks uh, on up to about $68, $69. Uh, hope you guys have a great show there today. I uh, wish I could be with you. Uh, enjoy, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks, Pete. Uh, all right, so that was uh, yeah, a little aviation tour and then and then a Bluetooth headset, which uh, Bluetooth stereo can be really good. I use it uh, in my car, and quality-wise, it's I mean, it's awesome. It's, you know, there's no, no difference that I can tell from, uh, from a wired connection. So, except you don't get the noise from the engine because it's not interfering your noise from the phone or whatever it is it tends to interfere with those plug-in connections in the car. So is good. Are we ready, John? For Michael? For Michael. I think so. I'm ready. All right. I think I may have. More to add than you, but okay. I'm please, sure. yeah, I kind start. of expected that you would for this one. Yeah. So uh, Michael says, uh, my mom uses uh, an early 2008 iMac running Leopard. She's had no problems printing until last Wednesday after she changed her ink cartridge. Now the printer will not print a test page or any other document until the computer is restarted. Before restarting, the message I have attached appears in the queue. And the message says, non-HP ink cartridges are installed. Uh, HP cannot guarantee the quality or reliability of non-HP supplies, printer service or repairs required as a result, blah, 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 not under warranty. And this is in the printer uh, print dialogue uh, right there in the OS 10 print dialogue. He says, uh, despite stating that the document is printing, nothing actually happens. Only once when we try to restart, did we discover that the document comes out. The document does print in full, but it seems a tough workaround to have to restart every time you print a document. Any ideas? He says the printer's connected wirelessly through an airport network. Uh, and uh, and that's that's it. So um, my feeling on this is follow the money. Right. Um, you know me. I like a good conspiracy theory. And, and printer ink is a, a great one because it's not a conspiracy. It's true. Um, HP, I, I believe uh, th this is how it works. HP has a patent on the way the cartridges communicate with the printer. So those, the, the little circuit board that's on the printer and also on the cartridge uh, is something that HP holds. Uh, there's something in that, uh, in the cartridges that HP sells, that is something only HP can sell because they hold the patents on it. Third parties aren't allowed to use that tech and HP's printers can then sense when a non HP approved cartridge is put in. And as you're seeing, they can make your life difficult. Uh, the real solution is, Unfortunately, I think buy HP's cartridges or HP approved cartridges and do that. If you bought the cartridge from uh, a vendor that said this was HP certified, then, I, I, you know, you, you should be able to get a refund from them or, or something. 
It could also be, and I don't think it's this, but it's always worth checking because it's easy and free to take the cartridge out and put it back in. Reseeding that cartridge may solve this kind of a problem. Uh, my guess is that's not what you're experiencing, but it could be. And it's certainly worth taking it out and putting it back in and see what happens. So that's my thoughts on this. But I'm really curious to hear what you have to say on this one. Jim. Well, because I've been through this, Dave, and this is a very interesting field. So I, I believe what you say is. So when you talk about the patent, I don't think it's so much patent, but it's information that only HP um, knows knows. Okay. Yes. in that so they have some code on the circuit board. So as you pointed out, yes, there is a uh, I believe you pointed out there is a, a little chip or circuit board on the printer cartridge that the printer communicates with. And now this is something that only HP can make. And it has information in it, but some of it is information that only HP, as far as I can tell, can create authentically. Otherwise, then I think they may be getting into patent problems. Like you said, Dave, if, they, if somebody tries to rip off the method they use to put a code saying, hi, I'm a real HP cartridge, then you could get in trouble. So what a lot of places do, and I've been through this, so, so the best thing, so, so what you said is the best advice by HP, because then they know it's HP. But there's a gray area here where I do this. And you can do this. So it's all in the chip in that if you get an HP cartridge, and at least with this printer I have, which is a B8550, it's very nice, uh, one of their inkjets. It takes uh, five different cartridges, CMI, K, and the other K. Right. And, uh, well, it has photo black and, and printer black. Right. But the thing is, it has a chip in there. Now, what happens is that once the cartridge runs out, if you then, if it goes away and then the printer sees it again, It'll say, oh, I've seen you before. You're used. I'll, I'll kind of tolerate you being in here. Um, now, the thing is, what you can do is take a chip off a working cartridge and then take one that's not an HP one, or but uses the HP form factor, and you put the chip where it should be, and then the printer doesn't know any better. It's like, well, I've seen you before. I'm kind of unsure about you because I know that you're not new, but I'm not going to tell you to go away because you're used. So I think they have different levels of annoyance. Now, the level of annoyance that we just heard about is one where it says, oh, I don't even know who you are. And actually, I think I experiment with this, Dave. Without the chip, um, a lot of the cartridges won't work. It won't see it. Even if it's physically in there, it'll be like the, 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 this slot is empty. So taking the chip out is not a way to get around this either. Right. The secret right. is you got to have a chip that the printer recognizes as a valid cartridge and it's seen before will create a little annoyance. And sometimes I've had to go to the printer and press okay or acknowledge it through the print dialogue. So it'll still pester you, but not as much, but I'm, I'm really surprised. And then I've heard the, the most extreme one is uh, various vendors make printers where the, the cartridges are time limited and that the printer has a clock in it and the cartridge has a time and date stamp. And if it goes, uh, you know, out of what they consider valid, they'll, They'll say, no, you know, I'm not going to use you to print, even though I could. And the way to get around that, or at least the, the, the limited hacking I've done, is most of these printers, you can take the battery out that maintains the time and date, and then it will give up because then it doesn't know what the time and date is. <laughs> Interesting. But, it, 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 but the technology that is in place to prevent you from providing your own supplies, which depending on where you come from, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, are you saying it's like, you know, a car, I can only buy a certain brand of motor oil or, you know, the, the ethics around it, I think is interesting as well, but there are ways to get around it. So 
Awesome. I, or remanufactured, I think, is the key also. A lot of places will sell ones that are HP cartridges and have HP chips, and then you'll get the minor annoyance. So that's the direction I take. Uh, yeah, that works. That works. Cool. All right. You want to move on to Randall, John? Oh, another one. Oh, are, you, are you ready for Randall? Uh, I will be in, in seconds. Let's see. Randall. Okay. Yes. So Randall says, I used to maintain my blog by using a blog template in Word on my PC. Now that I have a Mac running Word, the blog template does not appear to be available. Any idea on where it is or if I can download it somewhere? Uh, let's see. Oh, and he thanks us for some advice we, we gave in the past. But anyways, to answer that question, well, yes. And so I have a link. Now, the, 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 the thing is, is I have an answer from Microsoft so it's a link to an article of Microsoft that basically says, well, here's where your document templates are. So one thing Word does is it offers these templates that will let you start creating a certain type of document, in this case, a blog. Uh, so I guess the head scratcher here, now maybe it was on the Microsoft site, but I decided to just dive in and, and solve this, as far as I could tell, is on the Mac side where you want to look, and this is actually good advice for a lot of applications, if you want to find templates or settings or something for an app, uh, one place to look would be in your home directory, library, application support. And in this case, I would say you for this specific application, you want to further look after application support into Microsoft Office user templates. And that's where the templates are. So um, I assume they're compatible. Maybe they're not, but... <laughs> This is where you, this is where you would find them on both platforms. So if you want to, um, that's what you do. Yeah, yeah, they should be compatible from from Windows to the Mac. I would I would think. I, I think that's one of the that's one of the selling points of Word is that temps and templates rather and and documents and all of that are are compatible. Yeah, as long as you're not wildly you know like ten years off, like trying to use an Office you know two thousand template with you know. Yeah, <laughs> the latest. As long as you're not too many versions off, I think uh, yeah, it should be uh, portable. That's probably yeah, that's probably true. One one thing I will point out, just because I I am uh, conditioning myself to remember this, but uh, if the app is has come from the Mac App Store, and therefore, which Word is not, this is this is sort of a general piece of advice. It, it I believe you are 100 percent correct with where Word templates go. Uh, so if you're looking for Word templates. Where John said is is right, home directory, library, application support, and then Microsoft. Uh, but in a general sense, also look in home directory, um, library, containers, uh, because that's where the sandboxes live. And then inside containers, you'll see a list of all the apps that are sandboxed. And if you open up any one of these folders and the folders are going to be named in reverse domain name style. So it'll be com dot Apple dot whatever. Uh, open up one of those. You'll see a data folder. And then in there, you'll see a light. You are now in your sandboxed home folder that only that app can see. Uh, and that's how the sandbox works. It kind of creates a separate hierarchy for each app. And most of the stuff in there, the document uh, stuff is actually all aliases to your real folder. So you'll see a desktop and a downloads and uh, and that sort of thing. But uh, but the library folder is uh, is its own. And then you would go into library and application support. And then you can see uh, the uh, the stuff there that's that's sandboxed and that only that app can see. 
a little bit uh, frustrating, I know, for app developers, too, but uh, uh, certainly for us as troubleshooters, because I always forget to look there. So that's why I bring it up. Always tips. And I know we've covered that one before, but I feel like we're still in the infancy of this sandboxing thing. And I need to remember it because I always forget. No, I need that, too. Yeah, I forget about the sandbox. Yeah. It once used to be a, a nice place to be. Now, not so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <that's- laughs> Except when the neighbor's cat came by. No, no, that was different. Uh, is that, that's what we need is we need a, somebody's got to, if, if somebody's going to write a Mac virus, it needs to be called neighbor's cat and it needs to go mess around in other application sandboxes. I think that's, that would be, you know, I would at least get a chuckle out of that. Though I, though I hope that we don't see any real true Mac viruses, but wouldn't that be good? That's, that's funny, right, John? That's good. <clears throat> Uh, anyway, uh, oh, actually, uh, this, um, this always excites me. I, uh, would love to talk about our first sponsor, which is smile, uh, at smilesoftware.com. And the app that, uh, we're talking about today of theirs is text expander. Probably my favorite app from smile though. There, that, that even could be up for debate because they do have, uh, so many good stuff, so many good apps there, but text expander is the one I use. Every day, constantly. Um, I even have it on my iOS devices so that I can sync my text expander library amongst all of my Macs and devices and just have it with me. Text expander, for those of you that don't know, is an engine that allows you to create um, blocks of text or, or more. You can have you can even trigger Apple scripts with it. But in general, it's built the simple use case is that you have a big block of text that you are going to type more than once uh, and you want to save it somewhere. Now, you know, in the old days, you would save it somewhere. You would go to, say, a document, you'd copy it and you'd paste it in. And that was really uh, a time saver because you didn't have to retype this big, long blocks block of text, this big, long snippet. Well, Text Expander takes it to the next level. Uh, you store the stuff inside Text Expander. It's available system wide on your Mac. And you assign a uh, a shortcut to it. And that shortcut being, can be, you know, just several characters, uh, if you like. They advise uh, you to use a comma to start these because typically you don't type comma and then a character. You would type comma and then a space. And uh, so, you know, for me, I have uh, actually I have your address in John in my text expander snippets. If somebody asked us asked to send us something and I know it's got to go to you. I type comma J B A D D and then boom, four lines of address comes out. Got John Braun. It's got, you, you know, your, your address and, and all of that stuff right there. Not only does it save me time, but it saves me the opportunity for human error because I'm not going to screw up your address. It is right. Or it's all, it's either always right or always wrong. But since stuff has gotten to you, I trust that I've got it right. And, uh, and it works great. And like I said, you can do, you can actually do some really cool things. You can have it take the contents of the clipboard and put it in. So as we're creating our show notes during the show, as we go here, I, um, I, I have a, a snippet that creates the HTML that should go in the thing in the show notes. And all I do is copy the, um, the URL and it builds, uh, the HTML around that and paste the URL in where I want it. But you could do that with, really anything you could copy someone's first name and then give it like a little form letter and it could say, you know, hi Dave and boom, boom, boom off it goes. You can have it put the date in, you can have it do all sorts of things. And with the new version, 
You can actually have it prompt you to go through after it's created the snippet or pasted the snippet, I should say, uh, and have you enter, you know, key items uh, manually, but but in in the right places, just as you jump through. So that's text expander. As I said, I'd also have it on my iPhone. It runs as an app, but it can also run as a service for other apps. And there are tons of apps that use it. But uh, but even if your app doesn't use it, you just run text expander. You do your little expansion. It can put it on the clipboard for you automatically. And then you go paste it into uh, like mail or something that doesn't support third party extensions. So. Uh, so, yeah, that's text expander. You can go download a free trial, of course, for the uh, Mac version at uh, text expand at uh, smilesoftware.com. And when you're ready to buy it, it's thirty five bucks. I couldn't live without it. I don't even think about it anymore until I realize I don't have it on my Mac. And that takes me all of about 10 minutes to be doing anything and then not have it. So smilesoftware.com. That's text expander. We got to get you using text expander, John. I'm, I'm shocked that you haven't. Uh, yeah. I think you, you of all people I know would love it. So we just got to get I'd, you using it. I'd have to rewire my brain. It, do, it Yeah. It, Does of that course. come? Uh, no, that that's, on with- that's on you. That's on you. Of course, it does require some rewiring, but it doesn't. I got to be honest with you. It doesn't take very long. Uh, I mean, I've been using it for what, seven years now, I think six years. Um, And and yeah, I mean, there is that process that you have to go through of, oh, yeah, I'm not going to go and get my address from here or type my address. I'm just going to use it. But I even use it for my phone number now. uh, And it's just so efficient. It just and I use it for my email addresses. Um, It's, you know, I, I couldn't live without it. It is good stuff. I'll put it on the list. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you would like it. In the meantime, Graham has a question and, um, Graham's question essentially is, um, well, I'll boil it down. Graham's question is, is iTunes match worth it? You know, we're, we're coming into where many of us are in our second year of iTunes match and uh, and Graham is in that boat and and he's asking, look, you know, you've used it for a year. What what do you think? Um, what is it? Oh, good question. Thank you, John. iTunes match. I don't use it. And I've okay. heard of it. Apple's talked about it. it has something to do with music and the cloud. And I think that's that's all I know. Mm hmm. And that's sort of an accurate description, but it's also sort of a horrible description. Um, well, <laughs> well, it's a 20,000 foot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, from it the, this, this piece and that piece. Yeah, exactly. It's from the cloud description is what it is. Um, <laughs> the idea behind iTunes match is this. Uh, you have all your music on your Mac, right? And you want to have all your music on your iOS devices whenever, or your other Macs. And as we lamented in the last show, you know, iTunes and it's syncing and all of that is sort of a, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, did I, oh, actually I didn't rant about it on the last show. I ranted about it on Mac OS Ken's show the other day. Oh, but train wreck. It's a train wreck. I really, one thing I would love, like my. And I like trains. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This isn't a good train. One thing I would love for 2013, and I know it won't happen because they just did this is an update, like a true, like real honest to goodness. We started from scratch and built the right thing update to iTunes because it still sucks. You know, you, you, whether you like the new interface or not is immaterial. It's still this piece of bloatware that is horrendous to use. Right. I mean, it's, if you have an, uh, 
a media library of any magnitude. And I don't just mean music. If all you have is music, iTunes actually works great because guess what? That's what it was built for. But as soon as you start putting movies in and TV shows and all of that, it's a mess because I don't want to have all of my movies in the same place as my as my songs. You know, I only have I only have a couple hundred gigs worth of songs, but I have like a terabyte of movies. These things can't all live on my max hard drive. It just doesn't work that way, especially with SSDs and, you know, all of that stuff. I don't. Where else could you put it, Dave? You could put it on your Drobo. You could put it on, you know, some NAS drive. Right. I keep all mine on my disk station. Um, it, it, but it, it's like I, I want my movies in one place and, and my music in another and maybe podcasts even in another. Right. Especially with iTunes match. You know, there's some stuff that we'll explain what it is. I know I'm off on a tangent here, but uh, but it, it, I just it just drives me crazy that they came out with this stupid thing and it still sucks. That's what that's how I feel. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't really mean to go. I don't like I, I really only use it for managing my music and listening to podcasts. So and it works great for that. The, the, the <laughs> issue is, you know, we just got the Apple TV at home. I have all my movies mm. on the disk station, right? Because because it's a terabyte. It's like nine hundred and something gigabytes of of music of movies, truly. And we stream them to the TiVo, and I have a stream baby thing set up and all that. But it would be better if I could do it through the Apple TV. It's a way better interface and and all of that. But in order to stream from the new Apple TVs, I have to put those movies into an iTunes library of mine so that I can then stream them from the disk station to the computer to the Apple TV. It's like, why can't the Apple TV just go get them off the stupid disk station and play them directly? It can't. And I can't set my iTunes up to store music locally and movies elsewhere. Cause then it gets really confused. So you know how I streamed a movie the other night? This is actually, okay, we'll get back to your question, Graham. I promise. But this is actually really cool. What I did the other night, John, you'll appreciate this. We've talked about this before an app called Plex, right? Plex is an, I don't, I don't think it's open source. It's cross platform, uh, music, uh, media streaming and, and playing, uh, cons application software. I have Plex server running on my disc station, which is pretty cool because it's all self-contained and it serves out my movies and my music. But if you don't have a, you know, a NAS that's smart enough and fast enough to do that, you can run Plex as a server from your Mac. And then uh, your iOS devices can be clients to your Plex server. And you can play stuff locally when you're on your home Wi-Fi network, but you can also play stuff when you're across the country, uh, uh, you know, over the internet. And, um, and while the Apple TV doesn't have a Plex client, uh, there are things like the Roku box and th there are ways of getting a, a honest to goodness Plex client on your television. Uh, and Plex also serves via DLNA. So if you're into that stuff, there's there's other ways of getting it. But oh, I was uh, going to ask about that because that seems to be a kind of up and coming standard that I keep hearing yeah. a lot of people talk about. But it seems that not enough that they haven't reached the tipping point where enough people offer that. it. OK, yep. but there is a way to go Plex and DLNA. Yeah, Plex out of the gate okay. serves DLNA. The issue with DLNA okay. is not all DLNA clients are equal. DLNA is this 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 technology that allows you to go and get 
and, and get data movies in and music, but basically it's built for movies to stream movies to your television. Okay. But uh, some DVD players support it. The, the Xbox 360 supports it as a client. Some new TVs support it directly inside the television. You know, it's cool, but each it's not like you say, I just need DLNA and you go get it. Um, you have to have a profile on the server for each client that's going to connect. And the Xbox 360 looks different than a sharp TV, than a, uh, you know, Sony, even the Xbox 360 and, a, you know, Sony DVD player look different to the DLNA server. So your server has to okay. be set up. It's, 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 this is why it's not catching on. Sounds like, kind of yeah. sounds like Bluetooth and the Bluetooth. Yeah. On one level is simple, but then, then they make it more complex because you have this profile, that profile, that profile. And does everybody support the same profile? Well, exactly right. Maybe and, not. <laughs> and, and if okay. and if you don't have the profile, then you're stuck in P, like not P, it's XML land. <laughs> you have to go build an XML profile and know where to put it on your server and reload the server. I mean, it's it's perfect for geeks like you and me, John. But it's not ready for prime time. Okay. But here's here's what is ready for prime time. So uh, if you have a Plex client, like an uh, not a DLNA client, but an honest to goodness. Plex client, it totally works because it just takes care of everything. It just works. Um, but the Apple TV doesn't have that. If you have a second generation Apple TV, the one prior to the one that's out now, you can and you can jailbreak it, which means you haven't updated it to the latest software. Then you can install Plex on it. And that's awesome. But for most of us, that's not possible. So here's what I did the other night. And, and this worked. I, I had set up Plex and I had the Plex app on my iPad. And of course, my iPad can play stuff to my television via the Apple TV over airplay. So I loaded up Plex on my iPad. I'd browse to the movie that I wanted. I hit play. I had already set my Apple TV as the airplay device and boom, it played on the television. We played an hour and a half long movie. It took 3% of my iPad's battery because my iPad screen didn't need to be on. I just turned the screen off. In fact, I was able to browse the web and check my email as though nothing were happening in the background. And in fact, the iPad was acting as this relay. It's inefficient because it should just go straight to the TV, but instead it had to go twice through my wireless network to get to the TV, right? Once out to the iPad, once back, but it totally worked. And here's the cool part. While the movie we played the other night was from my disc station, Plex lets you share. And Pilot Pete also runs Plex at his house. So we have shared our libraries with each other. Essentially, we've given each other access to our Plex libraries. I was able to play a movie on my TV, the same exact way, but it came streamed from pilot Pete's house and Pete didn't even have to know about it. Pete could have played the same movie. His Plex server was just happy to dish out the, the data to whoever wanted it and ha had access obviously. And, uh, and it looked just as good on my TV as it would on Pete's TV. And it's just sort of magic. So, you know, we're, we're getting there, but we're getting there, but it's, that's still it's, a little geeky. And it streamed it because I mean, the way you could do that now, or yeah, actually you and it, I, Dave, it buffered it. could, it, it streamed it, but it, it wasn't doing it in real time. It was, it actually, I mean, it played it in real time, but it buffered it to my iPad and then streamed it out. So it, the connection to my iPad was faster and it was able to store the data locally temporarily. So if the stream was interrupted after, you know, after 10 minutes, it didn't matter because I had already had the movie locally. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, what I'm saying is that, I mean, right now, getting geeky, you could do this. And so say I have a, a movie file on my Drobo, 
well, I could map that IP to my firewall, you know, to my router and create a hole for you where you could then not stream, but download the movie. Right. So this is, is, is better than that. And that, yeah, you have protocols and applications that let you see and share other people's uh, content. Right. Without having to do all the geeky stuff. So it's a step in the right direction. It's, oh, it's totally a step in the right. And really what would be great is if TV vendors, I mean, like I said, the Roku box already supports Plex natively in the box. Um, if, if there were more things like that or for the love of Pete, and I use that as a phrase, not for pilot Pete, but I thought I love him. Um, uh, for the love of Pete, would Apple just let Plex build a Plex app for the Apple TV? We have a Plex app for the iPad. If they had a Plex app for the Apple TV, my problems would be solved. So perhaps my wish for 2013 is going to change from iTunes being revamped because we know it's not because they just did it and they think it's all happy and good to them opening up the Apple TV infrastructure and allowing third parties to install apps on there, or at the very least them just allowing Plex to put an app on there. So that's, there you go. I know that got us off on a, a tangent, but it's really and to take even one more tangent and then yeah, we'll go. come back, Dave. But yeah. no, we did have an email. I don't recall, but I was in the process of looking through the, uh, the mailbag or feedback. The mailbag. <laughs> and uh, there was a question, I think it was someone asking you, and maybe you answered it, Dave, but I want to bring it up because I think it dove, does uh, dovetail into this. The question was, you were talking about your DVR. How do you get stuff onto it or off of it? And I think uh, the, the two, pro- two programs that I'd recommend, Dave, and actually this one I want to bring up because something new has happened. Um, so iTivo, I think, is the front end that lets you take stuff off of your TiVo. It, it is. It's quirky. Uh, they did just update it so that it works with Mountain Lion without you having to, you know, do a Sundance and hold your mouth just right. Um, well, that's my warning, because, yes, you need to get the beta because yes. I tried running it as of late because I wanted to give a honest answer. And I tried to run it on my my machine running the latest Apple uh, OS and and I got all these Perl or whatever whatever scripting that warnings and I'm like okay it's broken but the yeah. beta seems to to function as it did before so iTivo is the program that lets your Mac see what's on the TiVo and download it in a format that you can then do something useful with you have to provide a media key which is something that is unique to every TiVo and is their attempt, you know, supposedly, you know, it's embedded in the content. I, I, I don't know. It's a way for them to make it harder for you to <laughs> take content, which you may or may not own, depending on who you talk to, <laughs> uh, off of your TiVo and put it somewhere else. Yeah, and but, then I think but the once you in- use iTivo, you can, con- I mean, iTivo takes, does exactly that, right? It takes the content from your TiVo, turns it into, you know, standard H.264 MKV or M4V files, and yep, you can yep. do whatever you want with them. Exactly. And then the one in the other direction is PyTivo. PyTivo PyTivo 10. That's right. Yes. And that makes your and that makes your Mac into a little uh, basically TiVo server in that your TiVo can see it as a source of files. It can either stream and or download, which is also cool. Actually, I like doing this, Dave, for um, some of the uh, movie trailers you know, that are all done in HD with all the cool sound and stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, it's fun to watch it on my MacBook Pro, but it's a lot more fun <laughs> to watch it on my surround system with my HD TV and, and all of this stuff. So I like 
putting the, the, to me, that's the quickest way versus, well, downloading it using the TiVo, which is not entirely pleasant. So, right, right. No. Yeah. And Pi TiVo comes the Pi TiVo X or 10, whatever you want to call it, um, which we'll put a link in the show notes. It comes with a second engine called stream baby, which is good for anything from the TiVo, I believe the TiVo Series 3 oh, really? and higher. So it's TiVo Series 3, TiVo HD, and the TiVo Premiere can all stream. With Pi TiVo X, you have to copy the, the file from your Mac to your TiVo, and then you can play it as part of your now playing list. But you got to make room for it on your hard drive and all of that stuff. Stream Baby, uh, which again is included inside Pi TiVo, allows you, if you have the right TiVo and the right format for your movie file, to stream directly from your Mac to your screen via the TiVo. And that's awesome. And that's actually what I run here. I have stream baby again, running on the disc station, but I used to run it on the Mac and it, it just beams the stuff to the TV. And, and that that's honestly for me was way better uh, because I don't need to store all my movies on the TiVo. I just use it as a gateway to the television. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, so, so TVs, uh, uh, newer TVs, I guess, support a streaming, Newer, newer, newer TiVos or TiVos stream baby TiVos. is only for TiVo. I see. So TiVos can stream to a TV. Cor- that correct. That- That's right. Okay. Yep. 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 And, uh, and stream stream baby works great. I do need to say, John though, um, an Apple TV, you know, the new one, the, the series three, you can get them refurb from Apple, uh, for 85 bucks. It's, Probably the best 85 bucks you'll spend. I, um, we got one from Santa here for, uh, for Christmas and I honestly wasn't sure how much we'd use it. We use it constantly because it allows us to take, like you said, John, anything that is on our iOS devices or our Macs and stream it to our television with really no fanfare or mucky muck. You just do it and it just works. Everybody in the family already knows how to do it. It's, it's just not a big deal. And it's really cool to be looking at sitting on the couch, get a link for something on YouTube and say, Hey, check this out. And boom, it's on the TV, full surround sound, full, everything full, full screen, really, really simple for 85 bucks. It, it, it truly feels like magic. It, it, so it's worth it. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'll have to explore it. I've been a bit overwhelmed because I see a lot of options. There's like Roku and there's a, there's a, a plethora of, yeah. Streaming boxes, Apple being one of them, right. one of the, you know, smaller and you, you kind of look at it at one point and you're like, that's it. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it's, it's so small. It's cool. Roku is the one that I've seen that, that also looks uh, compelling. Yep. Yeah. The only issue with the Roku is it's not airplay. I don't, well, that, am I, I might be wrong on that. Mm. Will the Roku do airplay? Does somebody in the chat room know? Because if the Roku does airplay, then, then uh, I think you got to, I don't know. Somebody, hopefully somebody knows. I didn't think it did airplay. It didn't used to, but maybe, uh, maybe it does now. I don't know. It looks like I'm looking at Twonky gets it done. So there's some app that you can get to do. Yeah, I found the same thing. Airplay on Roku. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway. So it's still a mess because I've seen that box and that's popular for streaming all sorts of things. So. Yep. 
Yeah. All right. But, where are we? So, uh, so get back on the track. Let's what, get what, back what on the track. What was, what was the track? The track was, well, you asked the question in, in response to Graham, what oh. is, what is iTunes match? And I still haven't answered that. So I, I will <laughs> go iTunes match allows you to take all the music that's on your Mac and I'm going to shortcut here, upload it to the cloud. And now all the music that was on your Mac is now available in the cloud to any device that you connect to that library in the cloud. It can be another Mac. It can also be your iOS devices. So what's cool about it is a, you've got your music in the cloud and when you're traveling or whatever, uh, if you've got, let's say your MacBook air with you and I do this all the time, I'm in a hotel room. I want to play some, you know, album from my library. I don't have to sync my entire music library to my Mac, but it's, it appears as though it's there. The things that are already local, uh, are local and the things that are in the cloud just have a little cloud icon next to them. When I play it, it downloads it and saves it to my Mac and I can play it. The same is true for my iOS devices. I see everything in my library, even though it's not there and, uh, and I can just play it as long as I have bandwidth and you can choose to, whether you want to use Wi-Fi or 3g or anything. So that's essentially what iTunes matches. What's also cool is you don't actually upload everything to the cloud. Most of these songs that you have, Apple also has because they have this iTunes store thing and they would sell these to you. So it just goes through and says, what songs do you have? And it says, okay, if you've got that song, we'll let you have access to our copy of that song. And in most cases, Apple's copy of that song is probably of better quality than yours, unless you've gone nuts and ripped it like lossless quality or something. But if you ripped it 128 or or even, you know, 192 MP3s, Apple's copy is 256K AAC, and I can tell you it sounds way better in most cases than all the MP3s that I had ripped over the last whatever, you know, dozen years. What's cool Ah, is I was able to, and I made a copy of my music library before I did this, but I matched everything first, and then, uh, and I'll find the article, Jason Snell at Macworld wrote a great little tutorial on how to do this, but but in, in in essence... I took, I I matched everything. So Apple said, yep, we know you've got all these songs. You have rights to play all of them. And then I deleted all of those songs from my local uh, drive and pulled down all the 256K AAC copies from the cloud. So I was able to replace them on my main machine. And uh, and it does sound better. It sounds better on my Mac. It sounds better, certainly coming out of the Sonos in the house. Um, So so that's that's what iTunes match does. To answer Graham's question, is it worth it? Well, maybe. I mean, remember, iTunes Match is only 25 bucks a year. Now, 25, it adds up, right? But for 25 bucks, you get to take your entire music library and replace it with high quality versions of all of those songs. No matter how you got them there in the first place, you now for 25 bucks and you can keep those. These are yours to keep, right? You know, uh, even if you cancel your subscription, there's nothing that stops you from playing these songs uh, even after year one, right? So you, you do it 25 bucks, one time fee, essentially, as long as you remember to cancel before it auto renews and you're done and you've got them. So for that reason alone, I think iTunes match is worth it. Um, and then if you travel a lot and you like to have access to your music, it can also be worth it. It's way cheaper than say Spotify at 10 bucks a month or you know, any of these other streaming services, but you need to have own, you need to own the tunes. The Spotify is awesome. And I also pay for that. Uh, we use that constantly, 
fact, we have wars over it. We need a Spotify family plan so that we can have more than one person streaming at a time. But uh, but uh, but yeah, so I think iTunes match is worth it. It's a little quirky. Every now and then I find that my machine says it's not connected to iTunes match and I need to turn it back on again and, you know, all of that. But um, but for twenty five bucks, certainly for that one uh, that first time around, it's it's well worth it. So. So there you go. That's 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 my uh, that's my answer. All right. I think the big uh, fish shake from a lot of people. But uh, to me, the question is, so it, it is possible for you to get rights to play music via iTunes match from stuff that you have ripped from questionable sources. That's 100 percent correct? correct. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So and I think that that got some people upset. But then again, I mean, hey, you're paying somebody at least. Right. 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 <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I think that was the conclusion is, yes, you're going to get all these people that have these crummy copies of music. But as long as it's good enough to match something that we have, yeah, we'll let you have it. <laughs> right. 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 What is next? Uh, let me see. I'm, I'm finding this link so that I can put it in the show notes here, John, because I don't want to lose it. The, the link from uh, converting your iTunes songs to higher quality iTunes match versions. All right. And now it will be in the show notes. Oh, that's not what I wanted. I did it wrong, <clears throat> but alas, I'll get it right now. Okay. Cause Hey, the stuff I ripped from my CDs, my music CDs, Dave, I have rights to that. Don't I? You absolutely do. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And honestly, that's what like 90% of my music library is, is, all that stuff that we ripped from all our CDs over, you know, over all the gears. And the rest of it is probably stuff that I downloaded from, you know, LimeWire or something <laughs> that were, uh, you know, it, copies of songs that I owned on LP that I didn't want to bother ripping. Uh, you know, it's like, hey, wait a minute. So we can't discuss this sort of thing. We can. I'm OK with it. You know, the, the, the industry's <laughs> flawed, right? It's but it's it's changing the the movie industry could stand to change i mean it's nuts that we got to wait well, you know i'm seeing movie options now you see a lot of options but yeah you can have it in this format and that format and put it in the cloud and access it from here and there yeah they seem to kind of realize all right if you buy something then making it available to you in as many formats as possible or venues or, or avenues whatever you want to call it is good and yeah. makes consumers happy yeah yeah um who where? All right. Why? So we are, we are, you know, let's, let's do these, uh, these two questions about the keychain. Uh, I'll start with Ron ah. and then we'll, uh, and then we'll go to Steven because, um, so Ron writes my 2012 15 inch retina MacBook pro is acting strangely. I initially installed 10.8 over 10.7, but I had problems. So I recently erased the drive and reinstalled. I now have two very odd issues. My iCloud account behaves fine, but I am unable to log into either FaceTime or messages. These continually request my iCloud password, but do not accept it. And a dialog box asking, asking for the info keeps popping up until I quit the program. I've done all the usual stuff, restart, repair system, user permissions, yet another system utility, PRAM. Uh, I've deleted prefs, caches, all to no avail. I've searched for modified system files. Of course, I am up to date with all the updates. I even repaired my keychain and checked there for issues. Um, and it shows a screenshot of the console after he attempts to enter the password. And it says, uh, warning, error from secure keychain item, create from content. 
And that is twice there. And then it says no auth token. Um, he says, I'm stumped. Second issue. When I open Safari six, it goes right to my Google homepage. But every time asks for my password for Google, I can correct this temporarily by deleting the Google cookie. But after a computer restart, it recurs doing all the usual things as above. Sim- similarly have not helped. These two do not appear related, but started about the same time. Um, I think they might be related. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, of, uh, I think I'm interpreting what's happening with your, the second issue, right? And if I am, I do think they're related. I think there's something wrong with your keychain. I don't think it's damaged per se because you've, you've run, you know, the diagnostics on that. Um, but I think something is missing from your keychain. And I saw something like this. In fact, I'm still fighting a battle like this on my, uh, on my iMac with my keychain. Um, the keychain repair is good, but it doesn't replace things that are missing. It just makes sure that there's good, you know, file structure there and that there's nothing wonky happening inside it. Um, I think your iMessage issue is that it can't, it is not that it can't authenticate, but more that it can't store the authentication data back in the keychain. So it fails. It's not that it's failing to read it, it's failing to write it. And and perhaps you can't write anything to your keychain. Perhaps that is a problem with it. Um, one thing to try and make a backup of your keychain first. And actually, this process would do that anyway, is to completely reset your keychain. This does mean starting from scratch. So that's not entirely a fun process. Uh, at least the repercussions of it aren't fun, but it may solve your problem. And uh, and Apple has a support article for um, for just how to do that. And we'll course put a link in the show notes it's called resetting your keychain in mac os 10 but uh but i think that's that um i i i think your keychain is is there's just something wrong with it that's not not what the repair keychain um will fix thoughts my friend before we move on to uh no it's too bad i think it's 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 a sad yeah right exactly well, one thought here, so it's easy in retrospect here, but you may want to export whatever's in your keychain. You can do that. So if you're in keychain access, you can then oh, uh, yeah. look at various uh, contents of your keychain. And I think you may have to do some fancy uh, keyboard work here. But uh, once you do highlight things that you want, you say export and it'll export them. It probably will, uh, from what I can see, it exports them as individual files, but it's uh, still something you may want to do. Um I don't off the top of my head know what the master keychain file is. Um, yeah, you know, you could, if you create a new keychain, you could then open up your old one and copy data back in. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Okay. I haven't yeah. messed with it because it, it's pretty much works. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah. the but the one thing I'll add here is that um so it looks like they have changed or at least here on on my uh podcast machine running Safari 6.0.2 in the uh Safari preferences section there now is a passwords field and I think this this more addresses the second question here mm-hmm. is uh, as far as being asked for passwords uh I have not seen this before. Now I tend uh, I'm still a LastPass fan, though I know there are people that like other platforms, but I like LastPass for managing my passwords. But the facility within Safari, uh, it, again, if you go to the preferences, passwords, lists websites 
and what actions may or may not be taken when you go to them. So to answer the second part of the question, uh, look there because actually it looks like they've changed it or either I uh, and or I have not been here in a while. Right. Yeah, well, it, but it's still using the keychain if you're if unless you're using LastPass, right? But if you're doing the Safari thing, it, it may be the same issue. He's trying to store his Google password and it can't store it because the keychain is I don't know. I mean, it sounds like it's locked, but he's done a repair of permissions. Although, uh, did he do user permissions? Because the keychain would not be repaired. The keychain's permission would not be repaired with a standard OS 10 permissions repair that only repairs things outside of your user folder. And the keychain is stored inside it. So you need to repair user permissions. That may actually be the simple answer. That's what I would try first before resetting the keychain is check the keychain's permissions and make sure that you have right access to it. Well, I don't know. Hopefully. Yes, you do. <laughs> Why? Well, you should. All right, you want to uh, you want to talk about Stephen while we're on the keychain thing? I think I think these two are related. Oh, hold on, I was hold. <laughs> Stephen, wait, S T E. You want me to read the question? Oh you, no, oh, I got, got it. it. I got okay. it. Okay. So, all right, hey guys, I think I got this. Is this it? All right, OS OS ten server ten point eight point two. When I try to connect to VPN. I keep getting authentication failed on PPTP and server did not respond on L2TP. I have ports, various ports here mapped uh, to the server machine. This used to work okay. I'm not sure if it stopped working with Mountain Line, but that's possible. I haven't used it in a while. I've tried using iPhone 4 and iPad 3 with Apple's VPN and used DYN DNS to make sure I have the right IP address and gives his iMac. Uh, configuration I made a test user and triple check passwords and made sure they have access rights through the server admin panel. As it turns out, uh, and turned the service off and on many times. I don't know what else I can check. Any ideas? And yes, Dave, I think I have an idea. Go. So VPN. Now, what's a VPN? Well, I'll tell you what a VPN is, or at least the, at a very high level. A VPN is a way over a network to securely. I'll take that back. Not necessarily, but often uh, create an endpoint for your network somewhere else. And often can I, can I say that a different security. way? Yeah, you're right. It often it includes security. Go. Um, it allows you to become part of a remote network from outside that network. Right. So if a network is, yeah, somewhere else, your, your IP address and other characteristics of the network that is there are yours, but you're far, far away. And that's certainly possible with technology. And that's called VPN. Yep. So the problem here is that a lot of times one aspect of a VPN is that it includes security. And a lot of times when you're talking security, and this kind of falls back on our discussion about the keychain, uh, security may involve a something called a certificate. Um. And that a certificate is a piece of information that includes uh cryptographic keys, identifying information. I'm not going to get into a security course here. Basically, a certificate uh, is a piece of data that can be stored in the keychain, right? 
Isn't this cool that we're yes. Yes, kind of leaking right. up here? Yep. So the thing is, is that, and I did find a number of people. So this is not only a problem, I believe, with the keychain, but is also a problem with the upgrade process. Uh, your your uh, point being well taken, Dave, going from uh, lion to mountain lion. And that a number of people have pointed out a problem. And I'll read the uh, beginning of the uh, thread here, but it says, uh, one person said, since upgrading to Mountain Lion, my VPN that uses I2, uh, L2TP slash IPsec with machine authentication with the certificate no longer works. Hmm. That sounds pretty, pretty yeah. much like what's happening here, right? Yep. I'll take <laughs> same that. upgrade yeah. process and, and same things do not work. And basically, so we will, uh, so I can paste this out in our, uh, I got it. Oh, I got it. Yeah, you got it. We both got it. But anyways, the the solution is basically, so here's what happened. So what happened is basically something got screwed up between the upgrade. During the upgrade process, something did not migrate over. Well, how do you fix that? And it's also in the article, but to sum it up, you want to take the certificate. And actually, I don't have one of these because I think you have to run Mac OS X's server to do this. But there is a VPN certificate in the keychain access. And basically, what you have to do is highlight that certificate. And then the thing about certificates is that they have one aspect, which is what am I allowed to do? And that's basically what you're going to be doing is going into keychain access and telling this certificate Okay, by the way, you can do, and the article goes into detail, you can now do this or that. What happened is during the migration, for some reason, either the the security model in the OS changed or something got messed with in the the certificate of the keychain. So, but I did find a solution to it, which was, well, both good and bad. Yeah. Bad that it happened because like, wait a second, you know, it was working before. What? 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 All right. Um, wow, we um, well, we blew the agenda to pieces today with my big long rant and our our departure into TV land. But I think that was a it was a good departure. I think I think that will be a springing off point for uh, for future discussions about this type of yeah. stuff. It's good. Are there I, uh, zombies tonight or no? Are there zombies? What zombies? Oh, oh, you're the zombie show that we watched. Uh, I don't know. I forget what the name of that show. Walking is. Dead. Walking Dead. That's it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Um, I have, uh, you know, there's, there's, um, I'm trying to think if there's a good. Where are you going, man? I don't know where I'm going. You know, I need You're to tell. You're off the rails. I, yeah, I'm going to stay off the rails. Um, I, I, I'm a geek in the doghouse, John. I, um, you know, my, my daughter <laughs> got a, uh, got an, got an iPhone five for, for Christmas and she had what? a case, she had a case on it. And um, she got a new case and today. And so we had to take the old case off. And she told me, she's like, oh, yeah, the guy at the mall that put this case on said, oh, it'll never come off. You know, very strong. Like, oh, great. So we're taking it off and we're having a really hard time. And uh, and it's one of these cases that has a, a, a like a, a front piece and a back piece. And it, it splits kind of around the middle of the edge. Right. And there's like one little spot that you can start to pop it open. It pops open. But you still you need to get something in there to wedge that thing you know, wedge in there and pop that case. So I took a butter knife and it's very important to remember what I'm about to say. The sharp edge, which is not all that sharp of the butter knife was facing up and away from the iPhone. So I was taking the, the, the dull edge 
and kind of popping it into the case to pry this case off. The, the sharp edge, which again is not very sharp, was pushing into my thumb. And no, I did not. A knife. Yeah. Okay. The, the knife. Good. Yeah. All right. It, Go ahead. Uh, continue. A yeah. knife for uh, a knife. Uh, so iPhone. Was, okay. Yeah. I was just, yeah. I was just trying to like using the, the <laughs> dull edge of the, the knife to pry this thing apart. And I was going along the edge where the, um, you know, the, the buttons are on the iPhone five. Now on the iPhone five, the buttons are all metal. And these are the, I'm talking about the volume buttons and the, 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 um, mute rocker. And, uh, and I popped the thing open and the knife slid and, created this huge gouge that goes along the side of the iPhone and it goes through the buttons and then kind of stops at the, at the, the, uh, the mute rocker. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, so clearly I'm in the doghouse, you know, my, my daughter's very sad and I'm going to go to the Apple store tomorrow and see if I can, I can beg compassion or, or something to, to, to get this fixed uh, or I'll swap my iPhone with her. But, <laughs> um, but uh, a word of warning that this, the, you know, we've heard about scratch gate or whatever people called it, that, you know, this iPhone five thing is, is uh, easily scratched. I, I don't know what kind of metal, I think it's like, you know, it's like aluminum or something that they made this, the, the edge of this thing out of. I believe so. Yes. It, it's gotta Curb. be because it's, it's like so soft. If a butter knife can like, well, it's really- light too. I noticed when I did, so you're talking the five, right? Because yeah. I've handled the five and I almost thought it was a toy because at least the four that I have, Dave, has a little heft to it. It makes you feel, and I, if I didn't mention this, but but I, you know, I know people that have worked in certain industries where you make something out of plastic, but you put a lead slug in it to make it feel heavier. Otherwise, people say it's cheap. No, I don't. And I almost I, felt that when I handled the five, and I'm like, wait, is this a real phone? Yeah, I actually like the weight of it. Um, but yeah, okay. So horse like in the, the chat room says it's chocoloy, which is a bend of, blend of aluminum and chocolate. And it really, I mean, it's like if a butter knife could gouge this thing and it, it's very cosmetic and, and functionally the phone is totally fine. And, uh, and honestly, if it was my phone, I could care less about it, but you know, she's a 13 year old girl and, and, uh, and she liked her pristine Trauma. iPhone. Yeah. So she's sad, but, uh, so we're going to just get a case. Well, yeah, that was yeah, yeah, to yeah. cover up daddy's 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 blemish. Yeah, screw up. That's right. I told her, I said, no, now you have a reminder of your daddy all the time. You can see it's unique. It's That's unique. Right. Just like you, sweetheart. That's right. So I need uh, I need I need geek karma coming to me tomorrow as I as I take her to the Apple store after school. And then after that, um, first thing Tuesday morning, I fly to Vegas and go to uh, CES for a couple of days. And oh, I'll be, I'm so I'll be sorry. Yeah. You know, I I mean, it's a, it's it's good. Is to, it really? What, what happened to the? Yeah, I, oh, I've no, had multiple people say this. Steve. What happened to the C part of this? And that people are saying it's all about celebrities and glitter. Oh, there's plenty well, where's of that. There? The, where's where's the C part and the T part? What's the T? Oh, technology. Sorry. Oh, well, it's there's no T, but it's the consumer electronics show, right? And no, well, that's the T. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the T. That's right. No, the the um, the stuff that's there, especially in this eye lounge pavilion, which obviously has been growing and growing every year is uh it's awesome and it's totally necessary to be there you, you know for for us with tmo and and everything i mean it's you know half of our our sure. our market is there so no it's it's really a good thing to go to it just it sucks being in vegas during ces i don't mind vegas uh, there are parts of it that i like what i hate about it during ces is how crowded it gets it's just it's just really difficult to get anywhere if you need a cab forget it 
Forget it. It'll never happen. You're going to wait two hours anywhere for a cab. And I'm with you. When I've been to that, because Dave, all I got to say is uh, through thick and thin, but Macworld, at the most, you got to cross the street to get to the other part of the show. Or you may have to sometimes take a taxi or the, the BART. I yeah. guess that's their system there too, or maybe walk to a nearby hotel. But the the thing that threw me in the, in the couple of times that you and I, I think uh, as part of a, uh, one of the blog world uh, shows there is everything in Vegas. The problem is everything looks close together, but it's really, really, really far apart and really a oh, pain yeah. in the neck to get from location to location. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's well, and it's, and that's during blog world. It's fine. A, um, the show is well, when it well was contained. small, well, when it was small, when it got bigger, I think it was still more of a chore because Vegas, I think is deceptive and that things look close, but they're very, very far away. Well, yeah, but it's not overcrowded when during blog world, Vegas is very easy to navigate. Yes. You have to take the train or the, the cabs or whatever, but you can get them, it, you know, w- during CES, even taking the little monorail, you will wait at least 30 minutes in this huge pack of people to oh, just get really? on the monorail. Oh, I remember oh, that. It's a whole different world. Yeah, it's it's not good. Uh, but anyway, so I'll go. I mean, it's 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 a good thing. You know, it, it, it just, you know, some travel hassles. Um, but uh, but so I'll be there and then we'll talk about that um, on next week's show. One uh, one last cool stuff found. I think we can we can pull one out. David had a uh, had one and, and that we will share. Uh, he said, uh, let me make sure. Uh uh, my favorite way of getting the time he was talking about his uh, his clock and having some issues and all of that. And he says, but my favorite way of getting the time is by using the Fox clocks add on for Firefox. Uh, he says, I like having Greenwich Mean Time, all the U.S. time zones and a couple of countries readily available. And uh, and you can check this out. Fox clocks. It um, it it shows you. Uh, your selected time zones, whatever those are for you right in the bottom, like in the status bar at the bottom of your browser there. So, uh, so it's pretty cool. It's uh, yeah. If you use Firefox, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, that's the way to do it. So I think that's, I think that's, uh, that's all we've got here today, John. It's been a, uh, it's it's been a fun show. We've got a lot of stuff cooking. A wild ride. It has been a good ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we and it's just the beginning of 2013. Look at this. We've set the bar high now, John. Now we gotta we gotta rock this out. Really? I think we set yeah we set a nice bar. To, well, actually, uh, we we set a nice bar in the uh, chat room here. Yeah, so. yeah. It was very very packed tonight. We did the uh, five fifteen slot. So yeah, next week. Uh, we're back to the 10 a.m. Eastern time ish slot in the in the chat room. Maybe maybe 945. But um, I think we've got crazy schedules otherwise. So, yep. All right. So um, if you're a new listener or an old listener or just need a reminder, if your your mind is is going like Hal. Remember Hal? I remember Hal. I liked Hal. (laughs) And his mind was going. So, if you want to get in touch with us, but one, if you want to check out the stream, I believe that's at uh, macgeekab.com slash stream, Dave. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. So, the stream and all the the hoopy fruits in in the chat room are uh, chatting and listening and maybe both. But if you want to get in touch with us, 
Well, let me think about this. Email is probably the best way to do that. And if you want to send an email to us, well, there are many ways, but one way is to send an email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com, folks. And as Dave said, feedback at MacGeekGab.com, but there's also premium at MacGeekGab.com if you are a premium member. That's right. Premium. And how would you be a premium? Oh, how would you be a premium member, Dave? You would go to MacGeekGab.com and uh, and sign right up there. And there's a couple of ways you can do it. And uh, we appreciate your support. And yes, we will. Uh, we're very close, actually, to being able to push out the first round. Those of you, each time, uh, and it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get there, but each time you hit uh, a $100 donation amount, so each 100 so your first 100 and then your second 100 and your third 100 you qualify for the next gift package is that uh, that we'll send out. And we've got one coming very, very soon. As I mentioned in the last show, we had... Uh, we want to get the technical aspect of this right, so we've delayed it by about a month. But uh, but we should we're very close on on being able to close that out and and start sending those things out. So that's uh, that's premium, and we do appreciate your support. And you get the premium address, and you are able to uh, get your pr- questions answered in priority queue. And we like I said, we just appreciate everything. and the warm fuzzy. You do get that warm fuzzy feeling. That is only possible when you're supporting your two favorite geeks. <laughs> all right. The Twitters. We all tweet. I like Twitter. You like Twitter. We all like it. Well, we do. Not everybody. But if you like it, I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. The other he is Pilot Pete. The show is Mac Geek Ab, And the publication is Mac Observer. You can Skype us to Mac Geek Gab. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. We do post uh, all the stuff about the show there, including we create events for each of the live streams. So if you're interested in the live stream, that is, come like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash MacGeekGab. That is the best place to find out when the next live stream is happening. We try to make them happen on Sundays. In fact, we almost always do. But uh, but it's usually either the morning slot or the, the early evening slot. And, uh, and we've been bouncing back and forth between it, which seems to be actually seems to be working out much better yeah. listener wise than uh, than I expected. Huh. So and then your portable device will pester you. And, and that's right. If you get the Mac Geek Gab app, we will send out a uh, push notification letting you know what time it's going to ah. be. And, and then also when uh, when this when the stream opens up, we push that out, too. So it is good stuff. Okay, t- <laughs> oh, you have something for that. Else? At least, well, at least one of our listeners. Well, I won't mention Jody specifically, but you, you may want to put your phone on do not disturb so it doesn't shock you. That's <laughs> if right. If we do an early AM show. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Hi, Jody. All right. Uh, with that, we'd like to thank Michael Johnston from the We Have Communicators podcast for converting this and every show into, or every episode into AAC format, which gives all gives you all the chapters and all that cool stuff, which you can see on your Apple TV, John. Uh, we'd like to thank Cashfly.com. I don't have one. You got to get one. Cashfly.com for all the bandwidth. Podcast Marketplace. BB Edit from Barebone Software. Right, text Expander from Smile. Gazelle.com for all of your selling back all your stuff. And a new sponsor coming. Squarespace later this month. All of that through Backbeat Media. Thank you so much, folks, for everything in 2012. We're very much looking forward to a fantastic 2013 together. John, 
Oh, hey, you know what? I know I'm going to stretch this out a little bit here. We uh, will be what? at Macworld. Macworld Expo. We, I, I am really? 99% certain you and I are doing a live podcast from the show floor. We will be doing it. Really? Yes. Uh, they changed horses on, changed directions on this. They are going to be doing it from the show floor. Um, and I believe Saturday at 1 PM Pacific, obviously locally there oh. in, in San Francisco. I don't know if we'll be allowed to stream it. I'm going to try to stream it anyway. Um, but, uh, but you know, Dave, it, yes, they refined their focus. That's right. Yes. Yes. But they, no, they, they weren't going to do it. And then, uh, and then we were able to talk. No, I know you, you are, you, you, you and many others were, uh, yeah. Including listeners, I yeah. suppose. I would hope, yeah. So come on out to Macworld Expo. Uh, we're going to have more details on that, but I believe we're going to be doing it on Saturday. Let us know. We actually have some flexibility on this, so um, we're looking forward to doing it Saturday, but if lots of you say, I'm only going to be there Thursday, well, then we'll try and change our schedule because we definitely want you to be able to be there with us. Cirque de Mac this year is uh, is happening. It's, it's all happening at the zoo. February 1st, Friday night is Cirque du Mac. So the night before the live podcast, Friday night will be, uh, will be Cirque du Mac. We have, um, I'm trying to look here so I can quite, quite an it. impressive list of sponsors, Dave. Yeah. Do I you, believe there's not one, not two, not three, not four, but I believe five. And no, I do not because I'm vamping for you, Dave. I appreciate that. I'm hoping that with your keyboard skills, um, yeah. Oh, I'm pulling it up. I just don't want to miss anybody. I, th- I think I'm, I've got them all memorized. I do. I do believe I, I do believe smile is, is one. Yep. Smile software is one. I have that from memory. Yep. Uh, uh, I got it. I got Land, it in front of me. Landtronics. Landtronics is another one. That's right. I remember them. And then you have the rest. Okay. Movie tracker, which is actually an iOS app uh, built by a Mac geek app listener. They are a sponsor. We're very happy to have them along with everybody else. Uh, we have Garmin is on board project wizards. Of course, they've been sponsors all the way through as the, as has smile. Uh, so we're very happy to have project wizards back with us. And uh, I mentioned they were going to be a sponsor of the show later this month and they are, but Squarespace is a sponsor of Cirque de Mac as well. And then there's, I think there's some others that are, that are sort of floating in that are going to help us with some last minute stuff too. But, uh, but those are the big six. So we've got movie tracker, Lantronics, Garmin, Project Wizards, Squarespace, and Smile all on board, uh, helping to make Cirque de Mac happen this year. So thanks to them And uh, February 1st. If you are a Mac Geekab listener, and especially if you're a premium listener and are coming out, let us know. We will do everything we can to uh, see about getting you in to Cirque de Mac. And with that, John, any last advice that you might have for our (laughs) listeners? Would be I I I I couldn't imagine anything except Dave. Don't get caught. 